0: All right, welcome Ashok to our Inclusive Leadership in a Virtual World podcast. This is
1: Thank you for having me so much, Sejal.
0: Yeah, no, po- this podcast is to help showcase amazing leaders like yourself. And so, just for everybody, my name is Sejal Thacker. I am the founder of Train Extra. And I am honored to have our guest here today, Ashok Bacharya. He was a facilitator for us. Uh, God, it's been a few weeks already, and we wanted to just ask him three questions that we ask all of our weekly facilitators so that we can hear your unique perspective and approach to inclusive leadership. So again, Ashok, if you can, for our guests here today, and especially for those that missed out on your fantastic session, please just introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourself, what makes you get excited about doing the work that you do every day?
1: Well, I'm going to give you the shortest answer possible without making our audience fall asleep. I'm an anti-psychiatry psychiatrist. I got involved in psychiatry uh, ostensibly to help people to be better than they are. And the model of psychiatry is really for a way to people to get broken and then fix that brokenness to a place of functioning. And I'm I'm okay with that, but I'm always interested in what's beyond that functioning. How can we elevate people? And as you know, and I don't need to sell this to you, empathy is a fantastic elevator. It takes people from a place of of being alienated, maybe ostracized, maybe misunderstood, uh, maybe not being able to have communication and to to do the action of entering that person's space. You can understand what what they're feeling, what they're thinking and what they're going through because you can only help somebody if you know what their situation is. Right. And I know when we lose somebody, you know, their fridge is full of tuna casseroles. And that's nice, but it, it and it's, it's thoughtful. It may not be helpful. Mm-hmm. So for me, empathy is always about entering the experience of somebody else. So I set up a, a, a clinic called the Empathy Clinic many years ago, and I use empathy, which is not a very psychiatric term. Interestingly, it's not we don't talk about it in psychiatry conferences. I use it to to, to help myself understand people and then diagnose them
0: and then treat them. I, I, I'm a huge fan of incorporating empathy into just all different aspects of leadership. So tell us a little bit more. I want to just dig a little bit deeper as an inclusive leader, then what is unique about your approach? Obviously, you know, infusing empathy and in everything, but is there something specifically that you could share with our audience about that makes you unique versus other leaders that are also incorporating empathy into their approaches? Well, I can certainly talk
1: about it from being a medical doctor' point of view, and and I think when I when I when I see my clients, uh, and I call my patients clients as well, because they've come to me for not necessarily to get something fixed, they've come to me to be helped, and I, I I get help too. Um, I do something called a history, which means I ask my clients what they've been through, and and typically, the medical model is to try and squeeze someone into a pigeonhole a diagnosis, and once that diagnosis has been achieved, then the typical solution is to find a medication that will help fix that problem so that problem goes away. Now, I'm not against that at all, but but what I do that might be a bit different is I take a history, and which which means that I've, I want to understand the full human experience that that person's been through. And I don't know how many times I've come across it, again, not to put down my colleagues, but when I've seen somebody and the diagnosis is actually wrong, they don't have schizophrenia or bipolar. Typically, they have a trauma. And there's two things about trauma that I think that, that is really, really important and as, as, as a trauma therapist and someone who teaches trauma therapy to people. Trauma is the the unpleasant event itself and then the idea that no one's going to believe me or understand what I'm going through or be able to support me because this happened to me and this happened to me in this way. And that's that's the two two edges of it, the actual trauma and then getting people to understand the experience that's unique to you. And that's when I come in. If someone has a a, a traumatic event of almost any kind, I can't change the traumatic event. But what I can do is help them repair their relationship with themselves and with their life so that they can have develop hope and continue to grow as a person. That's quite unique from a psychiatry perspective. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and I think we just need more of that, you know, people don't know how to do that, you know, and, and like, I, I, I agree with you is a lot of times, when I personally have sought out help for traumatic situations, that I might be going through, it's very quickly Let's put you in the, in a box. You know this is this is what you have here. Let's put a label on you, rather than actually doing it the way you're doing it, which is to meet the person where they are and help them sort of understand their trauma and heal for their trauma. Is that right? Is that is that kind of? I think, I think labels can be helpful. Yeah.
1: But also, we are not our labels. Um, we yeah. are so much more than our labels, and the minute we're, we're labeling anybody, we're actually judging them, and yeah. there might be bias associated with that, which I think you would be able to agree with that. Yeah. So I, I, I think the label can be useful for 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 conversational purpose,
0: mm-hmm. i.e. you're
1: suffering from anxiety, Yeah. but how is that specific and unique to you, and what can we do about that that can amplify your experience and help you deal with that, the way your life happens to you, and that to me is the unique difference that makes a difference.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, Ashok, you know, our world has changed a lot in the last couple of years, right? We've seen such a global shift towards virtual world. That's why this group came about inclusive leadership in a virtual world. So what is like the one nugget or the one thing that you want to carry forward from like going into the future that, you know, potentially is going to be entirely virtual universe that we're going into how do you continue to do the important work that you're doing as we sort of take on this new landscape
1: well i actually wrote an article about this at the beginning of the pandemic i did some research i sent out a, a questionnaire to all my clients and and uh, my daughter helped me with that and it turned out that 87 percent of my clients preferred seeing me virtually mm. and seeing me in the office uh, one-on-one now, I'm a very, in quotes, you know, engaging, empathic uh, therapist, and people like to be in the room with me. But there's another aspect to this is that when we're working virtually with people, and you have to realize that you know, I have therapy relationships with my clients. So it's all about a fairly abstract, uh, 3 um, two-dimensional relationship. I'm getting them to look at themselves from, from a perspective. Mm-hmm. And when we're working virtually, and they can see themselves on that camera, and I can see myself, I can say, do you realize that you're frowning right now? And they can look at themselves and say, oh my gosh, so I am. Also, I can see myself. I can see how I'm coming across to them. I've never been able to see myself do therapy before. And in in the virtual medium, I get to see me continuously. And I can monitor and see if I'm actually frowning when someone's saying something difficult for them to say, or if I'm over smiling if they're telling me something. So I get all this extra level of feedback. The other thing about working virtually is that people are more comfortable because they can situate themselves in the environment. They haven't had to deal with traffic, parking, and all that kind of stuff. And when we start the session, um, we're starting right away. Instead of that five to seven minutes of of warming up and then a few minutes to warm down again. And the the biggest feature, there's more to say, but just for brevity, the biggest feature is that, especially with my male post-traumatic stress clients, they're much more vulnerable on a camera. In in, in in the room, when men tied together in, in, in the room, there's all like, well, you know, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to beat each other up. That's completely gone in a virtual medium. And you know, typically men come to therapy, they don't cry. Um, women come to therapy and they cry. So do I, I cry too. But more men are crying in the therapy sessions than I've ever seen before. And I've asked them and they say, I just feel so much safer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if we can get to that place virtually where someone feels safer, to work on ultimately, which is their virtual relationship with themselves through the virtual medium, it's actually I'm getting compound interest on the work that I'm doing, and so especially in my PTSD cases with with the male clients I work with, they're moving about twice as fast as they used to before when <gasps> I'm working in the office, and that's incredible. I, I wish I had a little bit more science on this, but from my anecdotal experience, I think it works better than working in person.
0: That is so interesting because I've noticed the same thing too. In the work that I'm doing, is that yeah. I I my evaluations for when I used to do my workshops in person versus virtually are essentially almost the same, if not better. Because I think it's that what you're talking about. People are more comfortable in their own surroundings. You know, when you when you're in that group, and if, especially if you've got a group of people, you've got the group think going on, and all these other dynamics that are creeping in. Wow, that's really interesting that you're seeing that from a medical perspective too. That there's absolutely. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So, what so is I have, the, I, have
1: a, I, just, I have a number of clients who are saying they don't want to see me in the office. They like yeah. how, how safe and comfortable they feel the virtual sessions are going.
0: That's Well, that's good because then you can reach more people too. You can see more people, reach more people and make an impact. And so what was that you said? You, you said that you're seeing based on your experience that you're able to actually get cover more ground and help people more quickly because you're doing these virtual or, or that you found that they're able to open up more quickly or what do you think is causing that sort of healing to happen um I
1: I think that people are opening up much quicker they're feeling much safer Mm -hmm. I feel more comfortable uh, as well as a therapist so I'm able to engage more and we're covering way more ground much quicker wow and and so for me it's super super exciting because what will probably take me uh, maybe two months uh, to do work with somebody, I'm getting that done in three weeks. Wow. So for me, it's really exciting. And I've noticed that my rate of, of taking on and well. finishing the clients has much been much faster since since the pandemic working virtually than in the office when people would be coming in, I'm spending more time with them and I'm getting new clients in much slower. So as far as an expedience point of view with, with a professional like me, um, I'm helping more people. I mean, it's just so exciting.
0: That's really exciting. And so that's a perfect lead into the next question is, what are some of the you know, systemic disruption do you think we need more of in the world and why?
1: I think great segue we... into what you were just talking about. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge champion of mental health. You know, I've worked in pretty well every area of mental health. I've worked as an orderly, I've worked as a nurse, I've worked as a medical student, as an intern, and, and as now as a psychiatrist um so it, it would be strange to say and my dad was a psychiatrist too so I've, I've been around <laughs> psychiatry ever since I've been born and I think that I I'm, I just can't wait for the day when we can normalize the conversation about mental health it's still that well can I just have a little chat with you kind of thing and and I it, it people are still kind of ashamed of mental health and I'm a huge champion of talking about how we can de-shame certain mental health issues especially burnout and post-traumatic stress and when i when i do conferences on burnout um i ask are there any questions and there might be 30 40 people in the room and people are mute and these are often professional audiences and then in the coffee breaker later on i get cornered by someone who says i didn't want to ask you a question because my boss was in the room (laughs) that's the problem right right there we're looking at it we're staring right at it if people are silenced by shame they're not going to share what's really going on. And if a culture is silenced by shame, especially in the professional world, where professionals are supposed to be invincible and powerful, not have problems and just push through, especially women. Right? I think it's way harder for women. I think we're creating that, that shame culture that muzzles and silences us. I would love to create more uh, more conversation and make it more much more normal to talk about the stress that we're going through. And, and if I could disrupt that, um, as much as I can, I'm going to be making big splashes on that going forward.
0: In, because I'm going to ask you one more question. <laughs> because I'm just, I just want to know: How do we normalize this conversation? What are some, what are, what are ways that each one of us, because it it requires everybody to do this work together? What is something that, like, for example, I can start doing now to start normalizing that conversation in the communities, in the groups that I'm a part of? What are some tips you can give me to and others that are listening? Well, I think I've got one one tip uh, that really works
1: is self-disclosure. Mm-hmm. And I've been burnt out three times in my life. Uh, one of them particularly ugly and the other two kind of just more standard issue burnout. But if we don't share with people our burnout story and what we did that that helped us to get through it, move on, rebuild our resilience, help the system that burnt us out as well. So that system would become less uh, burnout um, causing then we can start a conversation that can change things so i think that disclosure and, the, and it's kind of the t- typical idea if someone says you know are you okay yeah i'm fine are you okay yeah i'm fine the minute one person says they're not okay then everyone's admitting they weren't okay and i think being a professional especially if you're a, a lawyer doctor or you have a lot of responsibility on it it's not a matter of are you going to burn out it's when you're going to do and what you're going to do about it and th- that needs to be a normal conversation you know, we buy insurance in case we we get we are in a car crash and we hope it don't ever happen but we but we don't get insurance in case we get burnout we just kind of ignore it as a thing that you know oh it it happened to bob over there it didn't happen to me and i think once we start saying burnout is actually a function of like wear out uh, where when things wear out if they get used and the more they use, the faster they wear out. We can say, well, what what are you going to do about your your burning out? And that way, we can make it into a conversation where actually people are being honest about it, and more importantly, helpful. Because if everyone shares their, their 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 tips and strategies and what helped them, we have like an, an army of people who are contributing to the informational uh, load of how we can actually help each other with this. Because sometimes you get into meetings and you're talking to people and people say, "Well, well, I did this when I got burned out. And you say, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. That's really, really a cool idea. And I think once we do that, then we're actually holding hands and helping each other.
0: Brilliant. Well I've been a fan of yours from the time that we've met. I've been following you on LinkedIn and so I want everybody to know you know where can they learn more about you, how they can get in touch with you and and what is the like if you have an email address or a website or a social media handle you want to plug yourself with so that people know how to get a hold of you. I want to make sure everybody has that information.
1: Well I'm pretty easy to reach. I think I'm the only Ashik Bhattacharya on LinkedIn. So if you can get the name right, I'm right there. And I'm very busy on LinkedIn. I think it's a great platform to to reach out. I have a YouTube channel, which is my name as well. I've got about 70 videos up there that I've been doing over the years. I have uh, the Empathy Clinic is a website that I have. I've written a couple of books, one on burnout as well that people can see on my on my website. And and uh, my email is Dr. at gmail.com. So if you can spell the name,
0: you can find me. Perfect. And let me just spell that just in case it's A-S-H-O-K is the first name and last name is B-H-A-T-T-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A. Make sure you reach out to him. He's got plenty of good information and I strongly urge you to follow him on LinkedIn. He puts out amazing content. I'm always inspired. And so thank you everybody for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Ashok. And I know we're going to have a lot to collaborate on and support each other with. So thank you again for being our guest today.
1: Thank you so much Sajal. all the best.